Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Talking TV. I'm Peter White and I am in Edinburgh for the International Television Festival. Our top panel are here to discuss all the goings-on, including Jon Snow's McTaggart, Russell Brand's alternative McTaggart, we discuss the lack of British entertainment hits over the last few years, and we'll do a whistle-stop tour from some of the best sessions at this year's festival. That's all coming up on Talking TV from Broadcast. We are joined by Studio Lambert, Stephen Lambert, Sky Visions, Jane Millichip, and Tuesday's Child, Karen Smith. Jane, you've just walked three miles over the last 24 hours. Is that what uh, Edinburgh looks like for you? Yeah, it's about incompetent scheduling. I should never let, be allowed to do my own diary. But other than that, it's been good. And Karen, Stephen, how's, how have you found the Edinburgh Festival? Well, I haven't been for a very long time, about 10 years. I'm struck by how everybody looks older than they were 10 years ago. And they all seem to be talking largely about the same things that they were talking about 10 years ago. <laughs> What made you come this year and not for the last ten? I have a lovely publicity person, Lou Plank, who also does the publicity for the, te- the, 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 the conference, the festival, and she talked me into it. You can't say no to Lou. No, no, evidently. And Karen, uh, how have you found it? <laughs> Similar story. I've actually been to more sessions than ever because I knew I was going to come on here. A slight white wine hangover from yesterday, but I went to some stuff today. Good. And you're right, yeah. Television is dead. Still 10 years on seems to be the thing. How are we going to get young people to watch? And lots of sessions about failure, so it's been quite uplifting. So nothing's changed in 10 years. We'll get on to all of those topics, but why don't we start with the McTaggart. Um, Jon Snow gave a fantastic performance yesterday, talking up a number of issues, including um, Facebook, he was asking for them to pay for content, and similarly how some people in the television industry feel out of touch. Starting on that issue, um, Stephen, do you agree with him that television is out of touch? I'm not sure I do. I do think he has a point about the need for greater diversity in the people that work on television and appear on television, but I don't think it's that out of touch. Maybe it's more in the case with news. I mean, if you look at the factual programmes, the documentaries, the dramas, there are an enormous number of them that are made about the whole range of of, of people in this country and particularly the lives that poor people live. We can all do more to broaden the range of people that work in our companies. We we, we make a big effort. 50% of our entry-level people are from a diverse background and we mentor them and we try to do everything we can to find a wide range of people to work on our programmes. The interesting question is, John didn't actually have any solutions to that problem. In fact, in his post-McTaggart talk, he, he admitted he had no idea what the solution was. It's interesting that Ofcom are not persuaded that there ought to be quotas for behind-the-camera diversity, although they're still thinking about it and they, they, they may make a decision uh, in favour of it next month. But it, the whole business of quotas is, is as we know, causing many problems. Do you think that's problems. the solution? Well, as I say, we do make it a point of trying to make at least 50% of the people that we employ at an entry level are diverse. That terrible expression, I don't really like it myself. Normalisation is what Shonda Rhimes talks about. She says, I hate that word. I'm just trying to make programmes that reflect normal life. I, I don't know whether it's a solution. I think it's, it would be a big thing for Ofcom to impose and for it then to be monitored. But clearly, that kind of quota system has made a difference to production outside of, out of London. This feels like an issue that we've been talking about forever. It does feel like we're still just talking about it, as, as Stephen says. It doesn't feel like there's many solutions or, or answers. Do you agree with that, Jane? you think we, we've got to just shut up and actually do something about it? 
Well, I think it's in everyday behaviours. And I agree that quotas will only get you so far. I just like to say I thought the McTaggart was brilliant. For once, it wasn't whinging or barracking. It was a call to action. I thought it was beautifully written. I'm a big fan of great speech writing. And I thought it was really fantastic, possibly the best I've ever been to. And I think a really good counterpoint was Russell Brand's Alt McTaggart just now, because he talked about a very similar subject, but from a very different perspective. Um, I agree that John didn't have a great deal of solutions. And I agree with Stephen, it's more relevant to news than the rest of factual television. And the breakdown of grassroots local journalism means that as an elite liberal class we are out of touch with the rest of the world and and I think rather than quotas we just need to mix more and 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 it was rather odd that we were all giving him a standing ovation in our elite bubble in Edinburgh but you know he deserved it but it was still quite a kind of surreal moment. We have to look at the new players in this digital age. Facebook needs to pay more taxes. Google needs to pay more taxes. The rest too. The digital media, the duopolies, have to pay more to carry professional journalism. It cannot be beyond the bounds of human understanding to come up with a way of ensuring that these mega entities have to pay to play. Facebook feasts on our products and pays all but nothing for them. This cannot last. Governments, the EU and others have to play an even bigger part in forcing them to pay. I'm a fan of Facebook, it's great, it's terrific, but I'm not a fan of playing fast and loose with the products that we in this room generate at vast expense. Karen, what did you think? I'm never a big fan of the McTaggart lectures and people standing on a hobby horse, um, but it was great to have one that, well, that was moving and was effective and has all, had us all genuinely moved and, and talking about it and with something to aim for rather than just somebody beating some kind of business stick. <laughs> I thought it was quite a funny reaction in the leaders' debate that people suddenly start saying, I don't have a degree and I went to a comprehensive school, as though that's going to suddenly fix things. Is that going to be the next thing that we all then have to admit to where we went to school? Back? <laughs> comprehensive, I would like to add at this point. I think we are working on it very hard and it, it isn't an easy thing to fix because you do want to, especially if you're in a small indie, still have a meritocracy because you feel like everybody has to work almost doubly hard to achieve what you need to achieve in a small indie. It's probably easier in, in the bigger indies to, to run mentoring schemes and all of that kind of thing, but we, we also um, do our best. But I do try and as much as possible retain a meritocracy. I don't know, positive discrimination sometimes for me is still discrimination. Uh, Stephen, as you say, um, it may be more applicable in in news, but as we saw in the leaders' debate, particularly with Ben um, talking about class and how that needs to be an issue, it does apply to the the wider world and not just just the news business. Similarly, do you think there's anything we can take from what John was talking about with Facebook and the digital companies whereby they're perhaps not paying for content? Does that apply for, for shows that, for instance, you make? It's very difficult. I mean, anybody that's going to be able to make Facebook pay more is the American government. I think there's a fat chance of that happening. Even with a normal American government, an American government wouldn't be in favour of that kind of market intervention. The whole concept of public service broadcasting doesn't exist in America in the same way. And we don't have a normal American government. We have a crazy American government. And so I think it's great to call for it. But the reality is, is that Facebook and Google will continue to do what, what what they want. Jane, you're in the in the business of uh, of making money from from these these type of companies. I mean, do you think that's plausible? Do you think that something could change to to get them to pay more? 
Well, I think John Snow's point was well put, but I also agree with Stephen that how we're going to engineer the change is going to be very difficult. I noted today that uh, Zuckerberg um, has made a small concession, but that small concession is basically a push to us to find more subscribers. So he's not taking a cut of that money, but we're still expected to drive subscribers from content that's still appearing for free on Facebook. So I think that was lip service to a large degree. So I think it's going to be, uh, we do have a challenge ahead. And so many of particularly younger generations are so used to gathering their content free of charge now, it is a problem. I'm constantly looking for new business models to help refresh and, and complement the diminishing returns of the normal funding cycle. And I think we need to look to, rather than just look for regulation, we need to look to, for brands. We need to look to those businesses that are maybe outside the media that see value in funding content because we need to refresh and you've the done some model. examples. You're talking about things like uh, the government and, and other areas that, that, that can put money yeah. into content. Yeah, I'm trying to kind of push up the value chain a little bit. So have people, have, have, have entities in my funding mix that aren't all looking to recoup out of exploitation and ancillary and international because that is a, becoming an con- increasingly stressed area. So whether that's brand funding, whether that's government funding subsidies, it, it could be any of those things, but I think we need to look outside of our kind of ever-decreasing circles within the media for that funding. Um, yes, it, we, you know, I'm all for pushing Facebook for, 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 for better regulation, but I think in the meantime, you know, that, 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 that might be a bit of a pipe dream. So we need to find other for, uh, sources of funding, definitely. Karen, are you worried that we're, you're all going to be working for free for Facebook in the future? <laughs> too old for Facebook. It was quite sweet. I went to one of the um, vlogger sessions um, this morning, um, Dan and Phil, and they were so brilliant and so enthusiastic and they really, really couldn't understand why things couldn't just be shared and why things have to be geo-blocked and because they have a totally global perspective on anything and that's the way that they want the world to be. And it just felt, you could just imagine some horrible TV exec having to sit down and say to them, it's all about the money that's why even though they're actually making a living out of doing this so actually if you did explore things with them they might actually be able to help us come up with creative solutions but I just love that why can't we just share (laughs) and see things and find things and actually there was something quite beautiful about it and it's because it is show business but it's still business Um, but it is quite exhausting I've got a session tomorrow talking about um, being a startup is the amount of business you have to take on even though you're a creative because we do have to find other revenue streams and you do have to be very business minded about it you cannot just still depend on the old-fashioned forms of revenue that you make your show and that you get some um, money from distribution and even more and more so now when the channels are expecting you to get your distributor to put money in in order to make the program in the first place and then the chances of the indie then actually ever be able to recoup that money dies because the money has gone into making the program in the first place so that makes things even more difficult so that's my current kind of beef is that the networks don't seem to understand that this money that they put into the program has a big impact on the indie and your ability to make revenue so it's finding it quite crippling because distribution was always your way to kind of make free money that was the whole point you kept your IP you made a show that sold around the world Hopefully that will bring you some revenue, which means you may have to make one less <laughs> show that you might not want to make. But now you're having to put that money in up front and the chances of recouping it are slimmer and slimmer. But we're still trying to be format 
leaders. That ties in with, with what you're, you're talking about, Jane, right? Yes, distribution advances are now yeah. more and more used for core funding. Yeah. And all of that has to be recouped before you ever see any net. Yeah. So yes, absolutely. It's always been the case in drama where big co-productions are necessary and deficit funding is part of the mix. But then drama generally has a much longer tail and you know more substantial revenues over a longer period. But now it's happening in factual as well. And uh, it is quite distressing when so much of the distribution advance actually goes to core funding. Yeah. And then what you really need is an ability to make a two-series deal or a three-series deal, mm. which they're reticent to do. Mm. So all of this money is going up front with no guarantee of any ability to recoup which it. This is exactly why I'm looking for funders who aren't looking to derive their value out of the international pot. So can we bring value? How do we bring value to other entities that might want to be in the content business? We need to get on our bicycles and look for other people. But what kind of model would that be? Ad funding? or? Well, I've explained, yeah, but brand funded, government funds, foundations. We're working with educational foundations who want to be in the content game. But what would they want to do? Would they want to mould the story of the no, programme? No, generally or the not. Message? I think we're, we're growing up in the past you know you get a brand on board and they absolutely want to you know make they, it purple because they they're Cadbury's yes exactly and they want their logo all over the television uh, I think it's changing and, and, and there's more acknowledgement of third party association and being associated with great narrative good stories that kind of thing I think the world is becoming a bit more sophisticated so it's more about a value alignment than yes absolutely an advert absolutely yeah Okay, let's talk about programming. Still with me, Stephen, Jane and Karen. There's been a lot of talk about entertainment this market. Ben Frau casting doubt over the future of Big Brother and a number of controllers talking about the lack of major British entertainment hits. Uh, do you think that's fair, Stephen? You're in the uh, in the process of, uh, of launching an entertainment business? It was Kevin, I think, who was making the point there hasn't really been a big shiny floor breakout hit in the last 10 years. Actually, he was excluding The Voice, because that's less than 10 years old, and that's a huge hit. It, it's hard, and I think he's also right at making the point that those big shows tend to get scheduled on a Saturday in this country, and they're up against these monsters, mainly monsters on ITV. So it, it's actually been quite a challenge for the BBC to launch uh, successfully a new Shiny Floor show. It's interesting, the strategy that he and Rose Mignol and shoe are going to be following which is to try to strip new entertainment shows and see whether or not that is a way of breaking through to find new slots essentially to find new slots but also to make quite a big statement by saying uh, we know that strips can work when we have something like I'm a celebrity well let's let's absolutely force ourselves to do a little bit more of this but you've got to find the right shows and it's you know if, if, if you come up with a strip show that's not working that's very visible. Does that change the way you develop? Sure. I mean, we were talking to ITV about a big entertainment show, and in the end, they felt that their need right now was to find more of these strips, and that idea didn't work as a strip show. You just couldn't do it that way. So we're now concentrating on, on a new idea for them that will fit for that. And Karen, you've uh, just come off a, a Saturday night BBC entertainment show. Uh, uh, can you talk about your experience on Pitch Battle? heartbreaking when the overnights came out I cried <laughs> on that Sunday morning um, it's really hard to launch something new it's particularly it was hard on the BBC coming off the back of the fact they hadn't had an entertainment show on for about three months so I think people got out of the habit of coming um, to the BBC for entertainment um, we also had um, quite a few problems in the fact that uh, our 
show one that we wanted it to be had um, a fire rip-off in it uh, three days after the Grenfell Tower disaster so we couldn't play our uh, number one show and then had to re-edit it and all those kind of things but it was very tough and it's very exposing and it's very personal but the positives of it were they asked us to go young and they asked us to go BAME and it did but sometimes when you go young and you go BAME then your volume isn't massive so we haven't heard yet if it's going to get a series two we're very hopeful it did very well in fresh and news which I didn't even know existed you do AIs and fresh and news now did you know it's something that the BBC judges the show by which is great so um, we worked really hard on trying to create something different but also that had had kind of feel-good values and was very much we hoped of the zeitgeist because it was about coming together it wasn't about individual glory it was about achieving something and not looking for stardom just actually achieving something for its its own merit we were thrilled to get the commission we loved making the show and we'd love to make another one that's the other point about being a small indie is is what you're really looking for is some returners because the thought of starting another year and having everything to be new and from scratch is really really hard work we've got a show that uh, launches tonight on channel 4 um lego masters and you know we're hopeful that can build to be a returner but um my background is entertainment the shiny floor stuff it's what i am passionate about and, and what i love making so i want to kind of keep doing that frustrating for the rest of the industry presumably because a small indie getting a Saturday night entertainment show is fantastic they can see that it doesn't have to just be the the Fremantles of the world that are, that are getting that business I guess you sort of feel that um, if it had worked they might have been more open to taking pictures from smaller companies but also I think in, we're quite unique in the entertainment industry is that obviously we're competitive and we're probably no less bitchy than any, any other um, department but actually fundamentally we want entertainment to work because if entertainment works and people get more confidence in formats and they'll buy more. We had a problem at the BBC when the voice was there because it just sucked so much money that they were commissioning nothing new and unless you keep kicking balls at the net you're never really going to achieve success and the other thing that we're quite anxious about now and it was something that happened in the leaders debate just now is if you listen carefully both Ben and Kevin are very much talking about earning their own IP which actually means in real terms commissioning from in-house which therefore makes the life of the indie that little bit harder so the BBC is a really important buyer from us so we want entertainment to work on the BBC so they have the confidence they commission more they try it in new slots and, and it's good for all of us so uh, Jane you uh, you guys own some entertainment indies is it is it been a struggle for for you to for, to find that big hit well I think we've gone through a period of risk averse commissioning which you know in those periods even though broadcasters say they want big ideas the commissioning gets smaller so that's been very very difficult and especially if you're a startup but I think we, we are seeing some changes now. Um, with mixed success, Nat Geo has moved to a bigger, better, fewer model. Sky, with more success, has moved to a bigger, better, fewer model on the entertainment side and factual and has committed to a number of big entertainment shows from relatively small companies. So I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all at all. And we're now seeing some success with, with Natal Kaznak, obviously, um, uh, the show that's been announced for Sky One. Uh, with the working title Revolution at the moment, uh, we're really excited about that, and that's that's one of the biggest uh, commitments Sky has ever made to entertainment. And it's not because it's one of the Sky portfolio shows; um, it's because it was a really great idea from a producer who can deliver. So it, I think uh, I think it, it can work, but I, I do feel that the broadcasters are slightly moving away, thank God, from that 
from that risk-averse kind of development hell that we've been stuck in for quite a while. Do you agree, Stephen? Do you think we're moving out of that, that risk-averse period? Do you, when do you think you, uh, you'll get a, an ent- a traditional entertainment show away at Studio Well, we just delivered a pilot to BBC One, um, and they seem to like it, but you need to have that, that final meeting where they make a decision to order it or not. Risk-averse, I don't know. I, I, I find it hard to see with such clarity that there is a period when they were taking risks and when they've been in a period where they've stopped taking risk and whether they're now starting to take ones again. I, I completely see that Sky has made some big bets recently and that's exciting. I think that the, the, the ITV, when it comes to big entertainment shows, as we talked about a minute ago, I mean, they've got some very, very big returning hits and they're putting a lot of energy into making sure that those very established hits stay fresh. So the opportunity there, I think, is, is, is limited, apart from these strip shows they're talking about. And I think BBC does offer some opportunity. And as I say, we've just given them a pilot, so maybe they'll order it. It'll be interesting to see what the new regime at Channel 4 do with entertainment. I, I, I never feel that Channel 4 has really cracked mainstream entertainment as, as well as it might do. I hope that the next regime has some success in, in doing so. I guess it depends on who, who is the new Jay Hunt. It does seem that some of the names that are being talked up come from a, a very entertainment-heavy background. There's lots of names discussed. <laughs> Talking of ITV and, and entertainment, um, Kevin Ligo also yesterday um, talked about the nightly show, um, asked why it didn't work. He said there was a million reasons. Um, he gave three to, uh, to Lauren Laverne. Do you think that the performance of the nightly show has any sort of wider impact? Do you think it's going to force broadcasters to stop trying to do those things? It was quite a bold move for Kevin. Do you think that is the type of thing that when it fails is is going to harm the, the industry overall? I, I don't know. I mean, that was a particular gamble because he was moving the, the, the 10 o'clock news and he gave good arguments as to why that makes sense for ITV. I mean, if he can move the news to 10.30 and find, or even 11 o'clock, you suddenly open up prime time in a big way for ITV. I don't know that it will stop them taking risks in a sort of generalised way. I don't think many people are going to be running a nightly chat show with a different host each week in the near future. Have you got any of those on the developments late, Karen? Nope. No, no plans. <laughs> There's no IP in it. No IP. <laughs> You're not going to be able to sell that format around the world, so it wouldn't be something that we would start out with as, a, as an idea. It's all about the format. Elsewhere, Jane, um, I've got a copy of the Times in front of me, uh, the Times of Scotland, a big picture of uh, Jane Tranter and Julie Gardner uh, sharing a chair, um, the story there about about their business, uh, Bad Wolf, which uh, you guys invested in earlier this week. Tell us a little bit about that deal. Is that, you know, what does Sky want when investing in in a company like Bad Wolf? Well, this particular investment hasn't gone through Sky Vision as quite a lot of the other production company investments have been. So all of the investments that we've made via Sky Vision have been about building a production portfolio. The investment into Bad Wolf is a slightly different scenario. Obviously, Jane and Julie are producers of you know, phenomenal expertise and, and, and track record. And it's really important to Sky that we attract the best talent and in drama specifically and to have a deeper working relationship with a with a producer like Jane and Julie is really important. Why has that deal gone through in a slightly different way? Is there a reason for not going through your traditional route? I think we take a very bespoke uh, attitude at Sky 
and it depends where the idea came from. As I said, from the Sky Vision perspective, it's about building a kind of, we're kind of all about bespoke scale. So um, I oversee a business which is uh, dedicated, we, we need to drive revenue and, and EBIT for the business, but also create great content. There are other reasons for investing in a business where that relation that, that is more about a deeper relationship and a longer term co-development relationship so I think you find that you know you you might find that investments come from slightly bits of the business ultimately it's all sky but it's how you manage it and the reasons for going into it in the first place may may be there may be nuanced yeah I get you uh, you can see what sky's investment gets you in the corner of the conference center with the Talcazac sitting on the floor in a uh, yeah no a, expense spared at sky no vision I'm gonna go and buy a coffee shortly <laughs> On more of an international note, the festival's been getting more global over the last few years. Uh, Mark Gordon, producer of uh, shows such as Grey's Anatomy, um, said the US networks are stuck in their old ways. Stephen, as a man who uh, works sometimes in the States, uh, do you agree with him? Do you think that uh, the US broadcast networks are stuck in their old ways? Yeah, I think there's very compelling logic as to why the US networks are structured the way they are, and it's very hard for them to change. They, in some cases, are trying to find ways of changing by having more live programming, particularly in the unscripted area. Many of them see live programming as something that they can offer that will pull people to them because it it has to be seen now. And I think one of the big problems that broadcast networks face in America is that because their shows don't get repeated in the same way as they do on cable, if they can't get people to turn up the first time they're shown, they have quite a problem. They tend to be dominated by successful returning scripted shows. Certainly the networks that are doing best, like CBS, have you know, an enormous number of um, long-running drama hits. It's very hard in unscripted. I think there have been surprisingly few successful unscripted shows on broadcast television in the You've last... You've had a go, haven't you? Yes, I mean, Undercover Bosses in its ninth season so that's doing pretty well and uh, Wife Swap lasted for many years on ABC but it's, it's, it's tough most unscripted shows tend to get launched in the summer most of them don't come back Karen, have you been out to the States to, to pitch the, the, the broadcast network? Yeah, I made Hypnotise Me, which was a, an American version of uh, You're Back in the Room. Went out to actually exec that myself um, last year, so that's um, due to transmit. Had you done that work yourself rather than well, a distributor? Well, when I um, co-created Strictly, I sent the te- put the team together that went out to do Dancing with the Stars. I didn't go at the time, but um, brilliantly, they're all still there. And there's this whole kind of network of people who have worked together in, in format entertainment so I was able to uh, it was a Tuesday child commission and I co-produced with um, BBC in-house over there which were my old mates um, and it worked really well for me because I knew I could trust them and there'd be none of that suspicion of running to the network behind my back and, and, and cutting me out of the loop so I was able to manage the production flying backwards and forwards and still exec it um, and while I was over there I then um, pitched a pilot which brilliantly they commissioned by the time I'd landed so um, I'm making another pilot for them and in a real show of trust I Actually, they're letting me make it in the UK that then in, in theory this, the series would be made over there so I've got that in production as well and I'm not going to tell you any more about it because we haven't announced it yet but we are uh, making um, a big pilot so there are so many Brits over there in all the key places and they do have an absolute 
high regard and, and respect for us as format creators over there. So It's um, rare that a, a British indie can make that show themselves. So in, in a sense, they often try and get the studios involved and you end up being sort of an exec producer and, and such. But to, to get that bit business yourself is quite impressive. Yeah, I was chuffed. <laughs> no, it was great. It was great. And I've always been a bit kind of northern about the whole thing and was always slightly panicked that it would all be a bit different and a bit Hollywood and I wouldn't understand what I was doing. Um, but when I was um, running Shine and we were making Got to Dance for Sky and it was sold over there, I think it was called Live to Dance. And I wasn't making it, but I went to the studio and I walked in and I was just like, God, this is just like TC6. There's really nothing more glamorous over here. And that was, and that sounds a bit pathetic, but it was quite a key moment that, yeah, I can do this so that then when the opportunity came up and it's my show and I understand it better than anyone and I could do it with people that I trust it was a, a no-brainer commercially but also creatively to make it myself so it was a great experience I loved it what do you make uh, Jane of, of Mark's comments uh, particularly I guess they come after Shonda Rhimes announced a, a pretty landmark deal with Netflix it feels like there's a, a bit of a, a battle going on over there well I think Mark has a point and I think that uh, it does worry me that the processes of the studio network system in the States has kind of shackled them in a way and they're not able to move as quickly as you'd hope at the moment. So I kind of do agree with him on, in that regard. I agree with Karen also that the, 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 the entertainment is almost looser and easier at the moment. We've just got a pilot with, with a network in the US, which I couldn't have imagined a couple of years ago. But I think uh, I'd be interested to see if next year the leaders' debate includes Amazon and Netflix, because I think we need to start taking note of that and having the debate, because I think what you saw today was kind of violent agreement amongst the linear networks, and I think we need to infuse that debate and also expose some of the weaknesses and holes in the OTT model. But at the moment, I, what, what, what I'm concerned about is that we're running scared because we've kind of put the frighteners up our, of ourselves. And actually, we need to invite those OTTs into the room and actually engage properly rather than, rather than be fearful and keep them out. I mean, at Sky, we're very much about content by other means. You know, in some ways, Sky's been an OTT player for, for years. So, you know, we're, we're platform agnostic. And I don't know why in linear, we've suddenly got so hung up about the new entrance rather than going, okay, welcome. I don't entirely agree with what you're doing. I have some right pitch battles with the OTTs over rights, but I'm not afraid of them. And I think we need to acknowledge that they're there in order to resolve some of our own problems or challenges rather in linear. So I want to see Netflix and uh, Amazon in the uh, leaders debate next year. I guess it depends if, uh, if uh, a high profile uh, executive such as Jay Hunt might move to Netflix or similarly big names taking people yeah. you know that we know that, that could work there the other thing I just wanted to say is I genuinely think in um, the entertainment formats um, industry uh, like the young vloggers uh, that we are global now and, and, and we absolutely have to embrace a global market and realise our worth and how much people look to us to create great content and how that they want to be part of that and I think that the format business is still thriving internationally and you can't just rely on being able to sell to the UK anymore you have to get these relationships get this trust and get your IP made wherever it needs to be and then do the business deal. You obviously talked about uh, producing in the States or for the States but could you see Tuesday Child making a show for a broadcaster 
in another country? Yes, I mean, <laughs> my other languages aren't brilliant, but more that I'm kind of I'm getting relationships with other producers so that if I have a format um, with a bit of IP, then I will team up with them and help them sell it in their territory and do a deal about it if it goes there first. So not just rely on the, the more traditional route of selling it in the UK and then selling it internationally. You can launch something in Israel. You can launch something in Germany. There are very like-minded and ultimately formats are mostly just people stories and people are people around the world. Everybody is looking for the same kind of thing. Everybody is looking for what's different and fresh um, and you can sell UK formats from paper in different territories if you have the right reputation and the right relationships. So that's something that I'm looking at too because you kind of have to be bigger than the UK market. A lot of new shows being launched here, BBC, ITV, Channel 4, announcing big slates. Um, was there anything of particular interest to you, Karen? Um, I was interested to see the button that was um, announced this morning. Kate um, showed a little clip, a game show set in, in real people's homes. It's got that kind of goggle box meets NTV vibe. Um, different, looks fresh from um, some new suppliers. And like I said before, we genuinely in entertainment want entertainment to do well. So a little bit of you looks at it and think, oh fuck, I wish I come up with that but then most of you think God, I hope it does well because then they'll commission more stuff so it was nice to see something different and um, the BBC being excited about it absolutely uh, favourite session while you've been in Edinburgh Kate Phillips with the um, uh, snake was quite entertaining on Blue Peter uh, on Blue Peter and actually quite nice that Blue Peter was featured and got that kind of moment in the sun for its uh, 60th anniversary coming on here made me think a lot about Edinburgh and what I think about it and I think it means different things to different people and at a certain level you go to these sessions and you think <laughs> really do you know sometimes you just have to go there to be seen and in case you're asked a question about it by them afterwards because actually the things that they're saying you should know anyway so I do try and find things that are slightly off the wall and a lot of it is about networking and drinking and uh, creating relationships which is also useful so favorite session is really hard to say I actually quite like the failure one I just went to see um, some amazing people who've done amazing things being very honest and my session tomorrow will be of awesome How not to fuck up a startup. Yeah, it's a hostage for Have you figured that it? out? <laughs> no, I'm still trying. Although we are five years now. September is our fifth year anniversary, which I'm very proud of. Um, but they asked me to do it because they said uh, you'll be honest, <laughs> which I will. I always am, and a little bit blunt. Uh, both of you very honest. Uh, Jane, favourite session since you've been here? Well, John Snow aside, I think it was the Alt McTaggart. I thought Russell Brand was brilliant and refreshing and open and intelligent and smart and to the point. And he did also coin the coast of the festival so far when he was talking about the fact that we're all bandying around the word authenticity rather too much and referred to it as uh, authenticity bukaki. <laughs> so I think as only Russell Brand can, it has to be the quote of the conference so far. A, a session which featured... Uh a number of people admitting some slightly strange um, sexual I, histories yeah. and, and yeah, particularly one BBC producer who told a very unfortunate story about uh, sharing STDs. Yes, I mean, I, I thought I was unshockable, but I, I, I left the room shocked, I have to say. Thank you for joining me, Stephen, Karen and Jane. Uh, that's your lot for this week's special edition of Broadcast Talking TV. Don't forget, you can catch up with all the news from the Edinburgh International Television Festival on our brand shiny new website at broadcastnow.co.uk. I'm Peter White, the producer is Matt Hill from We Think Audio, and we'll see you on the other side. Thank you.